Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Here we are again. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon in person, live. We're breathing. We're touching. We're No, I'm just kidding. We're not shaking hands. <laughs> we're social. I wouldn't say, you know, before we even get started, you know what drives me nuts? is we've actually not social distanced at all since March. We've physically distanced, but if you think about it, we've actually socially, I think, gotten closer as a society. So I think we should be replacing social distancing with physical distancing. This is a good point. Right? I'm so I'm just as social as I always was. I'm not distancing myself socially from anybody. I'm physically distancing myself from people. I don't know. Anyway, random thought of the day. We're here at the Canon in person, but we're socially distanced with Sergey Girasimovich with Easy Blockchain. Sergey, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me here. Excellent. Not a problem at all. You came in big smiles. And <laughs> I mean, obviously, so it's funny because I his he had some huge pockets when he walked in. And I was thinking, what in the world? And then I forgot, you know, Bitcoin hit 20,000 the other day. And so he's walking around with pockets full of hundreds. Yeah, it's actually 23. So I haven't seen my back in the car. (laughs) He's he's walking around with a Louis Vuitton duffel bag full of $100 bills because Bitcoin is just going insane right now. I have no idea what that means or even why. But all I know is that if you would have bought Bitcoin, you know, I don't know when it started or whatever, but... There's people who are really happy right now, including Sergey. So here we are. But before we get going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the wellhead operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frac automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes to check them out or hit them up on LinkedIn. Sergey, so Bitcoin, how long have you, well, for, let's go back even further. Where are you from? Because obviously you're not from the US and if you are, you grew up in a really funky town. <laughs> well, I'm originally from Ukraine. I came to the United States around 10 years ago. Okay. Actually, Texas was the first state I came into in the United States. What was the first thing when you stepped foot in? I'm imagining Bush International. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's a very funny story because we were flying from Frankfurt to Houston with a stop in New York and it was in May. Oh, cool. So we got our luggage checked and we had no winter clothes or something. And we came to New York and the first... And we had a connecting flight there. The first thing that I was fascinated by was 
how cold the AC was. Oh, yeah. So we got so cold in the airport, and then we got on the plane, and then we came to Houston, actually, George W. Bush Airport, which I flew to yesterday, and I got out, and it was like in the evening or night already, and it was 100 degrees. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow. Finally, this is where I'm going to be. All right. Yeah. So that was that was great experience. But then when the sun actually went up, I said, all right, it's it's too hot. Where's that AC? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I grew up in Canada. So in the summertime, everyone wants to run outside and get a tan and be, you know, at the beach and stuff like that. And then in Texas, it's like everyone wants to run inside and go into air conditioning. And so like I love like mowing, like when it's 100 degrees, I love going outside, mowing my lawn, getting a sweat on. I mean, I feel like I'm on vacation, but everyone around here rides around in their AC vehicles and then runs inside and it's like they're scared of the sun because it's so hot. But it's just, it's funny because you grow up in an area where you want what you can't have. So down here, people love winter so they can put jackets on and it's just like, wouldn't you rather be in a bathing suit at the beach or like, you know, outside (laughs) at the pool, which most people around here have pools anyways. But yeah, it's just, I find it so crazy. But nonetheless, talking about coming in, you know, from overseas and coming to the US for the first time, my buddy Armand, who owns Inside Petroleum, he, he has the funniest story. If, I don't know if, if you haven't listened to the episode with Armand. It is one of those. It's one of those like immigrant, you know, American dream stories. He came here, you know, he didn't know anything, you know, what he wanted to do. Like he had an idea what he wanted to do. But just one of those unique stories of like, you know, coming into the U.S. And it's like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to, you know, achieve the American dream. And, <laughs> and he, the funniest thing, like the biggest thing he remembers is when he came to I want to say it was Chicago. He went to the Chicago O'Hare Airport for the very first time. And then I think to Lafayette, because he was, he lived in, and I don't want to even pretend like I I remember because I don't, I think I ran, maybe not, but he randomly decided to go to University of Lafayette. And so he went from where he was into Chicago. And the thing he remembers the most, he said, you'll never forget how cool the bathrooms were in the (laughs) Chicago airport. And I was just like, that's true. Interesting. So when I worked in Pennsylvania, I was traveling back and forth to Calgary. This was in back in 2010. So I'd imagine they've probably upgraded the airport since then. But I'd go from Pittsburgh to Chicago, Chicago to Calgary. And I always had a layover in Chicago. But I remember, don't they have the longest like escalator ever going down into some weird tunnel with all these lights? Yes. Right? That's, that's the United Airlines terminal. Terminal yeah. 1. So cool. That's the one, yeah. yeah. You go there for a couple of minutes and then you walk down that terminal. Yeah. yeah. With the lights up. Yeah. yeah. They it, still have the same thing. Okay, cool. But I don't remember the bathrooms that much. But <laughs> I mean, and who knows you know, what kind of bathrooms he came from. <laughs> but it's just interesting to hear people that have come from Europe or, you know, the Middle East or just other parts of the world. You know, Canada and the U.S. have a lot of the same type of stuff. But you know, like you said, you know, coming here and with your experience about the AC, that's just so funny. So you come here and then, yeah, I don't mean to cut you off, but okay, you're from the Ukraine. Right. So interestingly enough, so my family, my mother's side's actually from Ukraine. My my mother's last name is Washechko. Okay. And so my wife and I are going to make pierogies and cabbage rolls for Christmas Eve, which I'm sure you're well well familiar with. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's actually a couple Ukrainian, there's a Ukrainian restaurant here in Houston that I want to go to because when you look at the menu, it's just like my uncles and aunts and everyone that grew up or that lives in Nisku, Alberta, big Ukrainian you know, community there. But I grew up on all that food and I miss it. And we actually, for my wife's birthday, we 
catered and we had some chefs come in and the gentleman was from brazil and the lady was she was such a sweetheart she was from ukraine you know we were her talking about different foods and it's just neat man i love the food and then you know just growing up in canada there's a lot of different you know eastern western european influence and so when you said ukraine i was like oh it's a bit of taste of home you know so yeah but anyway i'll let you keep going enough about me (laughs) sorry i get rambling yeah well no i came to to houston and then i had a summer job so you know my american dream is not that scary as other people so I, I came with a job offer that's a little bit oh wow e- so you didn't come e- here with easier a, yeah, yeah it's easier than just that those stories that i came here with 20 bucks and nothing else right so you need to say that is, yeah it's helping out <laughs> how yeah, did you so, line up a job in ukraine yeah in ukraine you, you could i mean there are hiring agencies that hiring different people to work in different jobs here but that was a summer job the first one so okay I what was, did you do in ukraine ukraine i was a student that time i graduated from national linguistic university so i'm a linguist by trade kind of a what <laughs> linguist oh wow I what mean, other languages do you speak i can talk it's hard to answer this question because if i'm a linguist and linguists are listening and they were going to st- try actually to check me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, I, I learned French and Spanish. Uh, okay, so parlez-vous français? Yeah, bien sûr. Okay. français dans l'université. Yeah. That's what I thought, you know? That's what's happening. Yeah. That's what's happening, that you you bring up that you speak some other language, and that guy out of the blue starts talking to you, and, like, and you are not comfortable. Because <laughs> he yeah. can ask you some questions that you're not aware of, and right. you just said that you know the language. Right. Well, you know, that's like for me. So my last name is Gautier, which is French. I grew up speaking French. And I took my wife to Europe a few years ago for her 30th birthday. And we went to Paris. And of course, me being, you know, who I am, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry, babe. Like, when we get there, I'll be able to talk and know exactly what everyone thinks, you know, and this <laughs> and that. We'll be able to travel and I can speak the language. And, you know, because my grandma spoke French to me for a long time. And I went to French immersion school. When I get there, I felt like I hadn't spoken French ever. And I, I was just like, uh, we, uh, yeah. and, I, you know, in my mind, I knew what I was trying to say, but I couldn't. And I got frustrated. And so I used to say I was bilingual, but now I'm definitely not. But it's, I mean, well, I was born bilingual because in Ukraine, most people understand Russian and Ukrainian. So right. Because yeah. of the Soviet Union, there is a, a large influence on Russian speaking population. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm bilingual. But from other languages, English, that's what I think I can speak well. People <laughs> will judge. Uh, but uh, French, I learned that at the University of Spanish, I started learning here because, you know, the United States has so many opportunities yeah. when you can speak Spanish as well. It's not a second official language. America doesn't have official language, but I hired a teacher who taught me the real language, meaning with all grammar and all this stuff. Wow. Well, you know what the international language is, right? English? Love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I can say. So I love America, right? right so yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the most international thing probably can can be said right now. Right, right. No, that's interesting. So, so you came here after, you said after college, you came here to yeah, do so, more school or you had a job, you said, right? Yeah, I had a job offer, but then my job was ended. So I had to figure out what I really want to do. And I always wanted to pursue an entrepreneurship. Cool. I want to say that I've done some different small businesses when I was in Ukraine. They are not something to talk about yet, probably. You don't have to get into the details, but what was interesting to you? I mean, what, what, what was your passion anything, to get into? Look, anything. I always wanted to be in some very big industry that I can grow the company to the level 
that the company can be a leader in that industry. And the industry has to be big enough, you know, to grow the company for decades. So, so you were more interested in the art of business rather than something specific. Yes. Like you were interested in, you know, fly swatters or cars or you were just interested in the art of in business. In art of business in general, yes. Okay. So then I wanted to understand what I'm going to do. And I set up a translation agency because that's what I knew. Oh, cool. So we hired a bunch of interpreters and translators all around the world. And we translated different documents. We did a lot of business development for companies who wanted to go internationally. Okay. And that's where I actually learned business in America because we dealt a lot with companies from inside out. Like, for example, some company comes to us and say, we want to go to Brazil and we want to open the office there and start selling out goods and services. So we as a company had to adopt their business to that market. Right. So that's where I learned different aspects of businesses, of different businesses. And that's where I learned that, you know, any business can be run by the same rules, kind of. Right. You know, you need a good team, you need, you know, vision, you need to market fit and you need some money, of course. Yeah. And then a good idea and you marry all those together and you have a good business. Wow. So, okay. So take it back. So you come here, you start the agency and then what happens? I mean, cause now, now you're with easy blockchain and is this your company? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I have a partner. So we've, we have founded it together two years, three years ago, three years ago. Okay. So before that, were you interested in blockchain? Were you interested? Like, were you kind of investing in Bitcoin type stuff or like, how, how did you like just stumble up? Cause it's interesting. Like, I mean, I'm not, again, I don't have a huge network of people that are in this world. You know, yes. I've got some friends that are familiar with it and, you know, have thrown some money at it, this, that, and the other. Colin McLeland, who, you know, from the digital wildcatter side of things, he's pretty well versed in, in the Bitcoin and the blockchain stuff within oil and gas, but I'm not. But if, it seems like people that are in that space, you know, either came from a tech background or who bought some illegal stuff off of websites that used blockchain, yeah. you know, which, you know, it yeah. sounds funny, but, you know, they're the black market for buying whatever it was, what was it like Silk Row or something mm -hmm. like that was a big one that used blockchain as like, I guess the framework or... They used Bitcoin to sell illegal goods. Right. So then now it's evolved into now kind of something that's, again, you're going to explain it, but how did you get into that space? I mean, because going from a bilinguist gentleman who comes here and starts a translate or, a, you know, an agency <laughs> to, to help for There's translation there, and yeah. all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to do... Bitcoin and blockchain. Yeah, well, How does my, that work? my first business year was not very successful because I didn't have so much experience. So then I tried a couple other industries. I tried e-commerce and then I was looking for myself, like for myself, what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I tried e-commerce. I was late because Amazon was there already. What kind of stuff were you trying to sell? We're actually selling coffee. Cool. Coffee and mugs internationally all around the country. Very cool. So that's where I learned, you know, more international trade business. So we were then I transitioned from e-commerce business to international trade, like selling goods on scale to abroad and, and importing stuff here. And, you know, just having those two markets, United States markets and other European markets, for example, mm. married together as well. That was my job. Yep. And that was in 2015 or 16 when couple of our clients reached out to us and asked that they would like to buy graphic processing units, so known also as video cards. And we said, all right, I mean, it doesn't matter what goods to sell to you, we'll send you those goods. 
But when they placed an order, we were very much surprised. Why do they buy so many video cards? Mm. So that's when blockchain and cryptocurrency grasped my interest because I started researching what those GPUs could be used for. And I realized that those guys were buying those video cards for cryptocurrency mining. Oh, wow. They were mining Ethereum at that time. And they, they were doing that in Eastern Europe. So the demand was so high in 2017, it kind of reminds me now, Yeah, that we wanted to see if there is a market for that demand here. So we set up a couple of merchant accounts with AMD, NVIDIA, with their board members like ASUS. We also worked with Sapphire, with Zotac, with other board members who sell video cards. We had their accounts with them and we were distributors, official distributors of those video cards. Yeah. So when we touched the U.S. market, we saw that the demand here is much bigger than anywhere else, even though people are not aware of it. Right. Interesting. So that's how we got into cryptocurrency, but we got into cryptocurrency more from an infrastructure aspect and physical infrastructure aspect. Because you brought a good point. Most people who are in crypto, they have technology background. And usually it is more like some code that people are like using to build some other products. And blockchain cryptocurrency is not all about it. I think, in my opinion, crypto and blockchain got very popular because of 2017 rise of Bitcoin from $1,000 to $19,000. Yeah. Because blockchain has been around probably since the 60s or 80s. Right. So that's where I want to stop you is because, you know, me being ignorant to the subject matter, like it seems like anyone who's well versed in it understands that there's value and there's security and there's it makes sense to them and it's they're passionate about it. But like, is it something that's out there that is part of our day to day lives that we just aren't aware of? Or is it still not really taken off because to me if someone's to say hey you know is blockchain you know popular i'd say well yeah people invest in blockchain for like to try and like basically like trade on it or whatever like bitcoin stuff but i just don't see it like it's not taken off like you said it's been around for so long and it's got all this potential but like like obviously the mass market doesn't see the value or they're just it's just still such a like complex gray how does it fit into the whole ecosystem of whatever it is that you know, whatever business you're part of or whatever industry you're part of. I mean, that's kind of where I'm like confused. I'm like, it sounds like it's cool and there's so much potential, but why hasn't it taken off? Or maybe it has and I just don't know about it. I don't know. Well, to answer your question, let's probably first answer the question, what is blockchain? Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. blockchain in simple words is a public ledger that no one controls. So imagine you have Excel spreadsheet where you input some numbers and you share that with your coworkers and you have access to that. So if you delete that spreadsheet, your coworkers will have no access to that. And even if you delete that spreadsheet, Microsoft probably has access to that data that you had in that spreadsheet. So blockchain is the same type of spreadsheet, but no one has access to it. Right. Neither Microsoft, nor you, nor your coworkers. No one can delete it. No one can change it. It's already created and encoded. So, for example, imagine that you have, you have created a lock and then melted the key and you threw it away. So that's what happened with blockchain. The blockchain has been created and there is no key to it anymore. So it is the way it is and people use it to record data. So one of the most fascinating and used cases on blockchain is actually Bitcoin. 
Okay. So Bitcoin has become a very well-known brand in cryptocurrency world. Right. So what can you do with Bitcoin though? Bitcoin is a form of money. It was created 10 years ago as a form of money. Okay. So that means I can send you money and you can receive that money and no one else can stop it. But you're limited because I can't like if you sell me a Bitcoin, I can't go to like Nordstrom and buy myself you some cannot. shoes. Right. Right. So like, why not? Like to me, that as a consumer, that would be where the most value lies. Like, hey, I'm going to give you a Bitcoin. And that's like, well, can't you just send me a hundred bucks? Yeah. Like, like what? You know what I mean? Well, it's a good point, Justin. It's a very good point. The thing is that Bitcoin has been created as a digital cash, but it hasn't been implemented as a digital cash. More to that is that it has been implemented more as a digital asset. And now people are using it as a store of value, as a speculative investment. Like gold? With- like gold, for example, <laughs> but gold is not that speculative. Sure. Right? So, and not to cut you off, but when, like, when I was in New York, when I'd go to a few coffee shops, it would say we accept Bitcoin. Yes. So like, I was like, hey, can I see these Bitcoins you're talking about? And they're like, well, you can't actually see the Bitcoin. Yeah. But all jokes aside, so there are some like retail spots that accept the Bitcoin or do you know much about that? Yes, definitely. There are a lot of stores and a lot of companies that are providing merchant services that you can accept Bitcoin. But the thing is that you do not really want to spend your Bitcoin because it has become a digital asset, a speculative asset. So right. you, you don't want to, sp- like, if you had a dollar and that dollar may be dollar twenty tomorrow, you wouldn't want to spend it. You would want to hold it so you can sell it in dollar twenty, And that's exactly what happens with Bitcoin, that people hold it and they don't, don't want to spend it. So it's not really a form of money as it was intended to be. Right. It's more than a speculative asset. And another reason not that money companies accept it because of lack of regulation because it's taxed as a property, which regulate as a commodity, and other people look at it as a currency. Interesting. Okay, so first, from a time perspective, I want to respect your time and our limitations here. Let's get into blockchain. And th- those are great explanations. And it's just, again, something I'm so interested in. I wish we had more time because I'd like to dive into more like just like the generics. But let's talk about because, you know, oil and gas on shore is a podcast. So people are wondering, why are we talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all that sort of stuff? Tie that into energy what you're doing, what your hopes are to do, and just kind of give the listeners some meat, if you will, to chew on, to think about the potential within energy or what it is that you guys are doing. Yes. So Bitcoin, as much as it is a very unique asset and very unique technology, has a very unique side effect. And that side effect is consumption of power. To generate Bitcoin and to sustain the network, Mm -hmm. we need to run special computers that can do some calculations to support the network. And those computers are very power hungry. They're called ASICs. So now Bitcoin becomes so popular, there are so many people on that network that more and more power is needed to generate Bitcoin or to transact one Bitcoin. Okay. So I believe that Bitcoin side effect can be actually a good thing for energy industry because energy industry generates power. And we as, we as a company created a way to utilize wasted energy that oil and gas companies have, such as flare gas or trapped natural gas that could be converted into electricity right on site in the well pad. And that electricity can be used to mine cryptocurrency. 
there is a huge problem of flaring in the United States and in the world. And I think with the help of cryptocurrency mining, that problem can be solved. Not even that. I believe that oil and gas producers can monetize that asset that otherwise would be wasted for them. Okay, so let's 30,000 foot view. Let's say I'm just in oil and gas. I'd go drill a well. I'm obviously going to have to flare off some gas. Do I call you and say, hey, I want you guys to monetize this gas. And then you guys come in with the equipment and somehow do that? Or Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are multiple ways we can partner with oil and gas producers. One of the markets for us is flaring. Another one is stranded gas. So flaring is what you just said. If you have flared gas and you want to do something with it, not only just to give away to someone, but if you want to monetize it, you would come to us and say, guys, help me out. And we'll roll in a generator, a mobile data center filled with a cryptocurrency mine equipment, and we'll monetize that gas. Another market for us is producers who have abundance of natural gas and they don't have the way to sell it. If probably there is no pipeline yeah. or the gas you know, is not worth enough to sell it. So that's where we can also roll in a generator as well as with mobile data center and cryptocurrency mining in it and monetize that gas. And the good, good thing to know, and I think it's worth to mention, is that if you monetize one MCF of gas through Bitcoin mining, you can make as much as $10 per MCF. What? Yes. So the obvious question to me is why isn't everyone doing this? Oh, there are many people who are doing this. It's just quiet. What we as a company bring to the table right now, literally, we actually want most oil and gas producers have this option. Hmm. They have the option, but they're not doing it. Yes. Why? Because it's complicated to, for them to understand what Bitcoin is, how it is being generated, where there is value in it. Okay. So our job is with you right now to talk and try to explain oil and gas producers that this is the way to go, especially if they have stranded assets. They, they're not generating money for them now. Right. So obviously it sounds too good to be true, but... Tell us Those about are the conservative risk. numbers, Justin. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? So like, again, okay, talk about the risks. Like there's always downside to any upside. What's the risk? Well, there are multiple risks, but I think what's the catch, right? The catch is that to get to $10 per MCF, there is supposed to be money invested into cryptocurrency mining equipment. And cryptocurrency mining equipment itself is the risk because you do not know how much to pay for it. Is it a good price? Is it worth it? Is it can of worms or not? So what we do, we vet suppliers of cryptocurrency mining equipment. We buy the equipment that actually going to make money, not going to break every day, even though there are cases when it, even we can make mistakes. Of course, right? We're, we're human. And I mean, that's business in general. So what kind of footprint are you talking about? Like, let's say I'm like, oh, you know, Sergey, come you know, throw your blockchain equipment on my pad and, and let's make some money. I mean, are you talking like a space that's like, you know, 20 by 20, or do you need like half an acre to set all this stuff up? Like talk a little bit about the logistics behind it. It is a very good question. Thank you. The logistics behind this are relatively simple because we as a company spent last three years on working on this problem. So we develop a mobile data center that can be fit in a 40 foot container. And that 40 foot container unit will host around 750 ASIC miners. But to translate it in the regular language, those cryptocurrency mining machines 
can use as much power as three megawatts. Three megawatts of power on the well pad will be generated from around 700 MCF a day. Hmm. Wow. That's crazy. And there is a generator in addition to that. So we'll need to roll in a generator. There are multiple generating company that produce generators, which could be either a 40 foot container or a 53 foot container. Mm. So technically two, two 30 foot containers, I mean, two 40 foot containers on the well pad can consume as much as 700 to MCF a day. Wow. So the gas that you're normally would be flaring is going, is basically powering a computer to mine Bitcoin. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's so cool. So what kind of challenges have you experienced since deploying this technology? I mean, right now, what's your biggest limiter? I mean, because again, like, I think for the average person listening, it's like, why would you not do this? Right? So again, like, but but obviously things take time and because it's so different. And again, our industry, like we talked about before, very conservative. If it doesn't really make sense, it's kind of like we shy away from it. But I think that's, that's been changing. And I think it's going to be changing even more you know, exponentially here over the next few years. And especially if there's, you know, ways to monetize something that otherwise would just be, you know, put off into thin air. And then especially now with the environmental regulations and new administration coming in, it's going to make our cost of doing business quite a bit higher. So we can, if we can offset that, you know, by getting into the blockchain world, you know, and doing what we're talking about, I, I think makes a lot of sense. But I mean, what is the biggest challenge right now? Is it, you know, just not enough people know about it? Or is it just trying to like get people comfortable with like conceptually what's, what's you know, what's available or like touch on that if you could? Yes, definitely. The biggest challenge we had is lack of education in our industry. Okay. So we have to prepare materials, talk to oil and gas producers, explaining them what we have. And usually just sending a white paper, a presentation is not enough. So we have to fly and meet with people, mm. show it to them, talk to them so they trust us, first of all. Yeah. As you just mentioned, the industry is very conservative, so they don't believe in some funny money. Yeah. No, it's a very, I mean, yeah, for sure. But we, we've done, I believe we've done a good job, even though it could have been done better. So we have installed multiple locations all around the country. Wow. And right now, so we aim in Texas, especially Permian Basin. And I think we're going to have a very successful project here because the amount of gas being burnt in West Texas is... Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and I mean, the amount of associated gas that's not being you know sold or put down a pipeline is, is, is crazy, right? So have you modeled or does it impact you on commodity prices? So like if gas all of a sudden goes to three and a half, four bucks, do then people... I mean... I guess, yeah. So that's the question. Right now, like because gas is cheap, no one can really do much with it. It makes sense. But if gas goes up, does that help you or does that hurt you guys? Well, honestly, it doesn't change anything to us because we target the markets where there is no way to sell the gas. Oh, I see. People are burning gas not because they want to burn it. Well, for sure. There's nothing to do with it. Yes, there's nothing to do with it. There is no pipeline or to build the pipeline. It's too expensive. Even if the gas goes up, when you compare apples to apples, to build a pipeline costs a lot of money and time. Yeah. So for companies to make, investment companies to make a decision to invest in the pipeline, they need to see very steady growth of the commodity. Right. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought there was only so many Bitcoins that can be mined. That is true. So what yeah. happens when you reach your limit then? 
So we're supposed to reach the limit in 2048, I believe. Oh, so that number will change. <laughs> that number, well, that number will not change. It's, uh, as I said, the keys of that lock have been melted, so you cannot so, do anything about but it. But doesn't it depend on the rate of which you're mining? Yes, but we still have a few million Bitcoins left to mine. But the thing is that Bitcoin is created in the, in the way that when the, all Bitcoins are mined, the cryptocurrency miners will receive the fees for transactions. So Bitcoin will technically become MasterCard or Visa. Every transaction fee will be going to a cryptocurrency miner. So till that point, we still have Bitcoin to, to share. After that, that will be transaction fee model only. Okay. So going back to it, so, so the operator is making money off the gas because it's powering the machine to mine the Bitcoin. But then how does, and again, disclose whatever you want, you can feel free to just not disclose anything. But how then does your company make money? So our company makes money by providing the whole infrastructure. So we build mobile data centers and that's where we make money. Then we also make money on providing service on cryptocurrency mining equipment. So we roll in all system. We do not want the oil and gas producer to learn how to deal with it. Right. We manage it and we just take a fee for that. Okay. But in general, our goal as a company is to actually mine on natural gas ourselves. This business is so lucrative for now that we want to be in it and we would like to be the first well, people to well that's what it. i was going to say i mean if you raise enough capital why wouldn't you just go a bunch of go drill a bunch of wells in north in pennsylvania and just, just start freaking mining bitcoins left right and center like basically be an, a gas operator but using that gas to mine bitcoin justin that's we're in process of doing that we even have to drill the wells because we can acquire them when pennies on the dollar in pennsylvania right now yeah and I came back from Pittsburgh like two weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing this. But look, this business is highly capital intensive. Okay. Right? And as well as the oil and gas business, right? So for us to go and get $10, $100 million to buy those assets, we need to go through many hoops, explaining investors that what we do is real and it's making money. But the problem is they do not believe that it is making so much money. And that's a problem. But the thing is that other people are jumping on this wagon right now. And in two years, it will not be so lucrative, obviously. Right, because the more people that run in the market. So is the window of opportunity like quickly shrinking or is this something that, I mean, you could do. So again, it's, it's for me, like it's fundamentally oil and gas makes sense to me. You drill for a commodity that then gets consumed and there's a demand, which then increases and then you need to increase the supply to meet the demand. And so this will just go on forever until people somehow figure out a way not to use oil but is this something that you could do forever or, you know what I mean? Like, is there a consumable yeah. to, like, obviously there's an opportunity to make money and there's going to be, like you said, the more people that get into it, that ability to make as much to where then your break even, like right now your break even is probably low because you can make so much money perhaps. But, you know, talk about like the, the shift all of a sudden, if, if too many people get into it, then does it like basically eliminate that market per se? C or? Certainly. It doesn't eliminate the market. But obviously the margins will get thinner. So instead of $10 per MCF, we'll probably make seven, right? And a lot depends on the price of Bitcoin. Like today, it's just not oh, okay. high. That's it's the 20, swing. Yeah. It's so, today it's 23,000. Tomorrow it may be 20 again or 15 or 13, who knows? But even at that price, what we do is making more money and we're hedged against the prices of Bitcoin because the cost of power that we generate on the oil field is the cheapest in the world 
because we do not have transportation fees, neither for natural gas, for fuel, for power, nor we do not have any transportation fee for the power in the grid. So we are right at the source. Yeah. So when the so when the natural gas is, is using is, is obviously powering it. So then, is there is there an emissions element to it once the mining is mined? <laughs> or well, I'm not sure what do you mean emission. There is emission element, and I think it's a, it's a good element because oil and gas producers right now don't flare. I mean, when they use this system, there's no flaring anymore. So where so does the gas? I mean, it goes into a generator, but the generator has a little bit different, you know, filtration system. So it's not just burning the gas, it's just a filtration system, and it meets the requirements already that moment. Okay. So so you're not up against any environmental resistance or anything like that? No. I mean, for now, it may change, right? But look, all generators that we use, they are compliant. I've just had a conversation probably yesterday. Yeah, I think it's yesterday with a group that was asking this question. They were asking about CO2. So when you run a generator, it's not CO2, which is important. It's CO and VOC. When you drill the, I mean, when you drill the well and you have flare gas, then you have a very high level of VOC and CO. CO2 is always going to be CO2, right? So we have generators that are compliant with all EPA regulations. And it's not, we have man, haven't manufactured them, which is buying them from Caterpillar or GE or Siemens. Yeah. And those generators, they have much lower VOC and CO than if you flare the gas. Wow. Again, it's, it's super interesting. So what, what do you think the future is looking at, you know, the, your company, Easy Blockchain? You know, where do you see yourselves in five years? I mean, what, what does that look like? I mean, you know, talk a little bit about that. Wow. I think I'm sure you have quite a vision for all this. Yeah. Well, Justin, it's a complicated question, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Well, first of all, company aside, the market which I envision is every oil and gas producer having this system as a backup. Right. That's number one. And then it correlates with the company growth because we will supply that backup for them and manage it. Mm-hmm. So we as a company, Easy Blockchain, is not only a cryptocurrency mining company. We have multiple subsidiaries that are, for example, power provider company. We have a company, Easy Energy, that holds generation assets and we generate power. So for example, if oil and gas producer doesn't have a generator or doesn't want to invest in generator and is okay to pay a small fee for rental, and when I mean, say small, it is small, lower than the market. If it's used with our Easy Blockchains technology, we are open to do that. So we see our growth drastically in the future, especially in next year. We want to operate under management around 100 megawatts of power on cryptocurrency mining, and preferably we would own that whole infrastructure. Wow. That is, that's, again, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of any other questions I might have. It's like talking another language, but again, all very, very interesting. So kind of backing up a little bit, not specifically with regards to oil and gas, but because right now there's a lot of money, you know, you know, even from the government perspective is like pumping money into green energy, yes. you know, talking about renewables and, you know, alternative energy, wind, solar, blah, blah, blah. Is, is there opportunity for a company like you guys to enter alternative energy space? Or are you guys really just focused on like using natural gas for mining Bitcoin? We tried to enter a different space. And look, our system can be used on any source of power. So we do 
have systems that are running on the grid. We balance the grid at some, in some locations. So we install mobile data centers with cryptocurrency mining equipment where there is a low power because of the production closed or there's no more demand there. We have some projects where we look in solar, especially in Texas, actually. Yeah. We have some developments, but I can I can see a big growth in natural gas. Yeah. Because look, we have we're in December right now. It's almost Christmas. The gas is two dollars sixty on a Henry Hub. Something has to be done with that. Yeah. And then and the amount of gas, not even burned but stranded, is just just insane. Yeah. And look at those guys in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Marcellus, a shale where they have no oil or have less oil. Those guys, they are slaughtered. Mm. They have to make some box on the on that gas, but now they cannot do any, anything. Right. I mean, if they sell it to Henry Hub, they don't get to dollar seventy cents on it. They get a buck probably, but then the infrastructure they build costs big amount of money. Mm. So I think that natural gas, in general, is a big market for us, and that's where we would like to focus for the next year. Yeah. If the market changes or there will be more demand for somewhere else and we as a company will have an opportunity to provide for that demand, fine. But as of now, this is our priority. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, if I was you, it would be too. So taking a little bit more of a, you know, like a personal type question. So what do you like most about, you know, whether it's your job or running this company or like what really when you get up in the morning, like what gets you going? Wow, well, probably innovation. That what we do hasn't been done before. Yeah. And what we do is good. It's public good. It's environmental good. It's economically good. It's producer friendly. What we do is just win-win for everyone. And that drives me. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. Another personal question I'd like to ask before I close out is, do you have any daily habits or routines? And by that, I mean, like some people, when they get up in the morning, maybe like they meditate or they listen to podcasts or they have their, you know, cup of coffee ready for them. But do you, do you have any just daily habits or routines that kind of keep you focused? I mean, because obviously you could probably work at this 24-7. Yeah. It's your passion. It's your baby. But do you do anything every day that kind of helps you disconnect and kind of recharge, if you will? Well, not every day, but I try to work out. If I haven't worked out, probably I would end up an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> because of the stress we have in this industry. You oh, know? yeah. We are in... Two most risky industry as of today, it's cryptocurrency and energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I do work out. I do some exercise, morning exercise every day. Oh, good. That's my routine. But I work out two to three times a week. So exercise is something that oh, yeah. kind of just helps you yeah. disconnect and kind of recharge. And Okay. Yes, good. that's my meditation for now. I'm doing a little bit of meditation, Yeah. but I haven't been successful Okay. Because we have a very strong growth right now. So, so it's I hard have to, get... to be 24 7 available. Wow. So, what's your biggest limiter on growth then? Is it capacity? Is it manpower? Is it, I mean, talk a little like, are you guys in a position where you're like, hey, we need people? Or is it more like just like talk a little bit about that? Yes. The people we are hiring right now in Houston area. Okay. Uh, for what? For, we're looking people in business development and sales. Okay. So, the limited capacity comes from sales cycle length. To close a deal in oil and gas, it takes ours around seven to eight months. I was going to say, I know for my business, it yeah. could take anywhere from a few months to up to a couple of years. So we do not have that luxury right now. And that's why we're stuffing more people because we would like to move quicker because what we actually do is a win-win. And we do not like sell something that's not going to be profitable for oil and gas producer. Yeah, Oil and gas producer requires from the system from us 
their return on investment is very quickly. It's probably 12 months, so maybe even less sometimes. Wow, that's yes. amazing. So one last question I have is, what's something about you that not many people know about? So like any hidden hobbies, any weird little things that has happened along the way in life or, you know, anything that comes to mind that's just kind of off the wall? Wow. So that's an interesting question. Probably what I know, I mean, I, I will connect it with the business I do, honestly, because not many people know that Bitcoin actually can make money. Right. Legally, efficiently, with low risk. Okay. So what's your hobby then? <laughs> I like reading. I like movies a lot. Okay. A What's movie. your favorite movie? Oh, that's a, that's a very tough one. I cannot just say one. What kind of movies do you uh, like? Various. I like the movie, the one of the favorites. It's Shutter Island. Yeah. Then uh, Three Billboards. Okay. It's a good movie. About in the Kansas, like Three Billboards in the Kansas, as far as I remember, something like that. Yeah. It's a very good movie. A very, it's very deep. I can talk about it. Like, okay. It if we had time, be, I would. It should have won the Oscar. Okay. It should have won. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave it just a second place or something. Yeah, I like movies a lot. Okay, yeah. cool. No, that's excellent, man. Well, anyways, before we log off here, I'd just like to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SPE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Great, thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink here in Houston. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Sergey, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we got to meet in person. I didn't know what to expect from the conversation, but for me personally, it was a very eye-opening conversation and hopefully for someone out there listening that may spark some interest and and if they want to reach out to you or if anyone's interested to learn more what's the best way to do that they can reach out at linkedin sergey gerasimovich or they can follow me on twitter sergey gera okay and i'll put all the links in the show notes that way people can just quickly access it and click and thank you and, and hit you up but yeah with that being said sergey is there anything else you'd like to mention to the audience before we log off here well i think it's worth to say that oil and gas producers out there you're not alone. There are people who care. Yeah. And there is the way to monetize that gas. So if you are about to shut down your well, don't reach out to us. Yeah. No, great last words. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.